Hey, welcome to the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast. Glad you found us for another season. Really hope you enjoyed the guests that we have today. Take a listen. Reach out if you want some more information. Enjoy the time. Enjoy the learn. Hopefully you get better from this. On today's episode, we welcome Sadiq Haynes. He's going into his seventh year with the Sam Houston State football program. His fourth year focusing primarily on the Bearcat defensive lineman. With Haynes on staff, the Bearcat defensive line has thrived and went to a whole new level in 2019. That season, the Cats boasted one of the top defensive units in the FCS, leading the nation both rush defense at 69.9 yards per game, opponent's third down conversion rate at 27.9%, and team tackles for loss at 10.9 tackles for loss per game. Coach Haynes has helped produce two current NFL players, as well as finished in the top 10 in 10 defensive categories and the top three of six of those 10 defensive categories. Prior to coming to Huntsville, Coach Haynes played for Bearcat head coach Casey Keeler at Delaware as a defensive tackle from 2007 to 2011. He was a member of the Blue Hen squad that earned a berth in the FCS National Championship Games in both 2007 and 2010. As a senior, he was an all-conference selection and was named as a team captain for the All-State AFCA Good Works team. Following graduation, Coach Haynes worked for two years as the head of community outreach for the athletic marketing program at Delaware. Coach Haynes is an outstanding football coach and an outstanding leader. Please enjoy today's episode and listen up as he gives us some amazing wisdom. On today's episode of the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast, we are joined by the Sac City Master, Sadiq Haynes, defensive line coach at D. Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas. Coach Haynes, welcome. Uh, tonight, as we record, uh, it's the national championship game between Alabama and uh, Ohio State. We'll, uh, we'll touch on that at the end, but uh, thanks for taking the time before the game and, and talking uh, and hanging out with me on the podcast. For sure. Uh, thank you for having me. You know, uh, we, we've had our we've had our run ins in the past where we can get together and, and talk some D line stuff. So it's always it's always exciting to get together and, and cautious on the whole sack master sack. Thing. <laughs> you know, I'm a firm believer in, and you are who you are based on your very next snap. So it's something to look forward to. That's for sure. No doubt, man. You know, I. But, you know, 2021 is here. Uh, we, we were able to to take a, a crazy 2020 and, and I believe, you know, find a lot of good in it. And um, you know, I was able to to link up with you through a, a variety of things um, through Twitter. And I've been able to reach out to you and, and just ask you questions uh, even during our season. Um, and, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, you know, what what is the reasoning behind why you were so open to to giving your your philosophy, you know, your technique drills, um, going on to uh, Coach G's shout out, Coach G for keeping the zooms going, man. The dude is the, he is the MVP of 2020 and already front runner 2021. But uh, you know, you were a multi uh, presentation on that. You know, so what's what gives you that desire to be open and, and reach out to and let people reach out to you and communicate? 
Um, well, it, it's interesting, right? Because as we get older, our, our life develops. And, um, you know, I take a look back on a lot of what I've done up until this point. And I've always aligned my life with wanting to give. You know, I've always loved giving. I've always loved giving back. Uh, when I was at the University of Delaware, um, I won a national award for community service. So I've aligned my life with loving the essence of giving back. So when you bring the game of football in, you know, I still consider myself a, a, a young coach. You know, I'm 32. Um, I've been coaching since I moved down here in 2014. So, you know, I haven't been in, in, in the game per se, you know, too long, but I've been playing since the age of six. So I've always been around football. And uh, quite honestly, I love growth. And I love growing and, and I'm in the business of football, but I don't ever think that I can't grow. Right. So what I've uh, learned over the years is the more and more that you lock in with coaches, the more and more you hear their philosophies and you take a little bit from here and there and you kind of make it your own. You watch the game of football, you evaluate, you know, how you study football and you come to your own conclusions, obviously based off of, you know, what you studied and what you put in. So a long winded answer to say, you know, I love to be able to, to reach out and help as many people as I can. And in the essence of football, you know, as I'm sharing what I know, I'm sure that I'll get something from whoever that I'm talking to. And uh, one of the best things that I've done is, is really, um, like you said, shout out to Coach G, to, to, but to have a platform to share my thoughts, you know. Um, and, and we as coaches, a lot was taken away last year in 2020. You know, a lot of, a lot of time with our players, a lot of time, you know, in the building, actually studying, watching film. So uh, to be able to have that platform, especially right there during spring, which for us got cut short, um, I was able to have a platform to, to share some of my thoughts and theories in my presentation. And, uh, you know, with that, I was able to, to grow, you know, an audience and, and grow my, my knowledge as far as the coaches that I know and to be able to reach out and talk to them. So I love talking ball. I love helping out. So it was it was a perfect marriage between the two. Absolutely. Uh, you talk about your time at the University of Delaware. Can you expand on that and, you know, winning that award for community service? Uh, what, what did that mean to you? And, and uh, first of all, how do you how do you um, get you get to Delaware if you're not necessarily from Delaware? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's always a fun story. So really quick. Um, coach Law, who was my defensive line coach at the University of Delaware, it was about two weeks before signing day. And, um, you know, I was born in New York, moved down to Georgia, lived in Georgia for six and a half years. And then we moved to North Carolina. So whenever people ask me where I'm from, I say I'm from North Carolina because that's where I grew up. Um, and I remember two weeks before, you know, I, uh, me getting a call from Coach Law and, um, you know, shout out to my pops because, you know, way back when I'm kind of aging myself now with the recruiting process, uh, we made our own v, uh, VHS tapes, right? So we had two VCRs. We had to set them up, you know, press record on both of them. And, and man, he, he, he and I worked together along with my high school coach as well. But he, my dad did a lot of the legwork as far as sending my tape out, you know, to schools, the, the old school way, to where they had to open up your tape, pop it into VHS, right, and turn on your film. So, he did that in Delaware was one of the one of the uh, last schools to call me. And um, ironically, I had a uh, long story short, I turned down two two full scholarships to go be a preferred walk on at the University of Delaware. And uh, a large part of why I did that was the campus, uh, the coaches and the football tradition. Right. They had just won a national championship in 2003. 
Um, I fell in love with the campus. I fell in love with the coaches. I fell in love with the culture, right? So putting all that together. Um, Football-wise, you know, playing there, um, I wind up being a, being a starter my, my junior and, and senior year, and I played as a, as a freshman and sophomore. Um, you know, I finished as an all-conference player. We went to two national championships. You know, I played with, with, with some, some players that are still playing on, on Sunday now, um, Joe Flacco being one of them, Paul Warillo as the linebacker, you know, a, a, around a lot of greats, you know, and a lot of great people. Um, but more importantly, uh, shout out to Jerry Ravitz, right? He was our he was our football operations director there at the University of Delaware. He would organize these community service events, and we had to do ten hours um, every year. You know, Coach Keeler, who I'm who I'm working with now, was my head coach then. Um, he loved uh, for us to give back to the community, and it was something that naturally lined up with what I love to do. So every Monday we would have a different event, and I wind up just going to all of them. You know, it was it was it was something that I loved doing. And, and a lot of times it was just he and I. And, um, you know, we 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 built a relationship as far as going going back into the community hand in hand, sometimes just us two and uh, giving back. But, you know, the joy I got from doing it is the reason that I did it. And I remember something that he told me like my freshman and sophomore year. And he told me, don't think this goes unnoticed. And it wasn't something that I was looking for to get a praise for you know, we had something called the Gandhi Award, which I was labeled as, you know, at the University of Delaware and in Newark, um, because Coach Killer said, you know, the person that did the most community service hours was deemed the Gandhi Award. And then we would get like a shirt or something if we were if we were labeled that. But I won it every time, you know, so uh, that kind of stuck with me. So over the time, you know, just just being able to give back, um, it was something that I loved doing. And then you know, by my senior year, I, I did over 200 hours. You know, I didn't know anything about the award. I remember them telling me I was nominated. You know, they got it down to 22 in the whole country. I was one of the 22 in the whole country. That's all divisions of football. And then uh, it was up to each school to, to work with their marketing team to get votes. So the country could vote. You could, you could vote once a day um, as a person every day um, up until they named the award. And that was the first year that they did that. And I wound up being the first captain of the AFCA All-State Good Works Team Award. So for me, quite honestly, that was a highlight because that wasn't something that you particularly trained for, you know, and being able to, to even when you went, we went down to the lower ninth ward to help, to, to help clean up the 22 of us. And even being down there, being able to actually help out in the lower ninth ward, you know, after the hurricane had, had ran through there was something eye-opening. So those experience that that I got from actually doing the community service and being involved in a community service, um, a large part of that, you know, that that foundation was really started back at home in North Carolina. But that was something I was able to continue once I got to the University of Delaware. And uh, that was one of the things that that stuck with me and essentially created my job for me um, after I got done playing because I worked in athletic marketing for two and a half years at the University of Delaware, spearheading all of the community service for the athletes. So it was something cool that that developed over time. And then, you know, sometimes they say without you even knowing, uh, some things come back full circle for you. No doubt. So on a side note, anytime somebody goes, well, I'm from North Carolina, first thing I think of is uh, the wood, right? Okay. Mike. Yeah. I'm from North I, Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> So wood is is one of the the wood is one of my top five favorite movies. It's, oh. it's on TV. It's 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 getting left on. 
I don't care if the wife rolls her eyes. It's I mean, just you got to think about the dance move. All of it, man. All of it. I remember, you know, paper and pencil. That's how we got numbers back in the day. These kids don't know. It's, but all you um, got to do is lift up the palm. When you lift up the palm, people know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, man. You counted them up at the end of the night and there you go. from there. But um, you know, how much of your your foundation was laid? You talk about your dad helping you with VHSs and and cutting those up. How much of that was laid at home uh, between you know your home and then your high school and now where you're at, how much do you realize, do you take a step back, reflect and go, man, that's, that's what they did. So that's, that's what I did. And here it is. It's obviously the right thing to do because it's gotten me this far. Right. Um, so faith for one, I'm Muslim, right? So being born and raised as Muslim, my parents, uh, gave me a great foundation as far as faith, right? So that's, that's where it starts and I don't shy away from it. Um, I know sometimes in my space, I'm one of one, but it's something that if you do know me, you know, I speak very highly of it. And, and I try to walk, act, speak um, as such, because I have that as my background. In regards to football, football has been in my in my family. Like it's, it's been my dad played, uh, my brothers played. Um, you know, I was the first one to really go to college and play. So, so that was unique in itself. But, you know, my dad was a coach when I was younger. And then when I got to high school, you know, obviously naturally I went and played in high school, but, you know, he always did as much as he could to give me everything that I needed. And the dream for me always to play was to play in college. Right. So naturally growing up, he was always there in the supportive aspect of giving me, you know, everything I needed to know as far as make the right choices, making sure you're doing X, Y and Z. And it wasn't always perfect. Of course not, right? We, we all have to grow up in our own way, but it was something that I was able to, to learn and, and look at over time. And when it came to the recruiting aspect, you know, uh, kids, kids these days, when you say stuff like that, you age yourself. Kids these days, like kids in high school now, all you have to do is send a link. You know, we had to go and actually package up. And, and the great thing is I had a great support staff at school as well. You know, some of my coaches uh, were my teachers Right. So they, they made sure academically I was making sure I did everything. And then I had my coaches as well to hold me accountable. Uh, and then my, you know, my, my parents, they came to every game, even in college that my mom, my mom missed one game and she was in the hospital. Right. And ironically, a quick backstory, I wound up being defensive player of the game. And that was the only game that she missed. And that was the only game I got that one. So I always have to, <laughs> I always have to apologize but then right after say I did it for my mom because she was sick. So I, you know, you always have to change it to make it somewhat of a light, lightful situation, but to always have them to be supportive and me to see the hard work that they put in to give me everything that I needed. It's an appreciation because, um, you know, they had to do more Actually, you know, naturally as time goes on, technology gets better. It's much easier to get your video out there. Uh, you have the internet now, you have Twitter, you have, you have all these different platforms. And now when you look over time, I graduated high school in 2006, right? That was 15 years ago, not now, now that, we're, that we're looking at it almost, right? So um, it's crazy how much time has evolved, right? And how, how technology has evolved with time and, and made it easier. So it was a bigger appreciation because 
Um, it was a lot of labor that went in for us back in the day and getting my name out. And even I'm still shocked and surprised that University of Delaware even finding me when they did, you know, and that's that's the humble side of me of, man, all it took was them to pop the tape in for them to, to take a chance. And again, I had to earn my scholarship, but to be presented with an opportunity to be a part of a team, to, to have a chance to was was really all that I needed. And that's the appreciation that I that I learned over time because my family had to support me in saying, we respect you turning down two full rides to go to this school because of your vision, because of what you want, because of what you see in this program. And that takes a lot, you know? And, um, you know, I wind up earning a, a, a full ride after my freshman year, right? So all of it paid off in the long run, but it was it was the vision it was the foundation. It was them being supportive. It was me having the support at school. And, and even along the way, when I did make those mistakes, I always had a, a pretty good support staff as far as my coaches and my parents, um, and also me, me piggybacking and relying on my faith to be there for me as well. Love it, man. Uh, you know, you talk about your time working in sports marketing. So were you always going to be a coach? How did that come about? Yeah, so the development of that, I wound up so I wound up getting my bachelor's in English at the University of Delaware. So I, I realized that I wanted to do that my senior year of high school. So my senior year of high school, Coach Albright, favorite teacher of all time, he single-handedly had the, the most impact as far as you know establishing my my route in life. He was my English teacher turned creative writing, creative writing teacher my senior year. So he started this new course and he's one teacher of the year so I can brag him up and he created this course of creative writing. How do you bring kids and it's almost like um, I think it's called freedom writers. Uh, if it's the name of that movie with a teacher allow the students to actually write they got to express themselves. Yeah. So same, same exact format right so he created that and it man at that time for us and the dynamic of the classroom we were all so different I was. I was the, the 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 dumb jock, right? I was labeled as the dumb jock, um, and and not even with how I moved, just the big football player. What is he doing? I remember one girl said, "What is he doing in this class? He does know this is creative writing, right? Verbally." But by the end of that class, we had a book called "Unlocking Room 413," which each of us put our own stories in that book. Right, and we published it. Since then, my teacher has published a book featuring me twice, right? And he's currently helping me with writing a book that I'm, I'm writing now called The Power of Choice. He single-handedly influenced me and encouraged me to major in English, which is how I got to English, um, which, which played a part. So I do English and I go there to the University of Delaware, which is how I get my bachelor's in English. So I do all of the community service and you asked me about working for athletic marketing. So no, I didn't know. I didn't know that I was gonna do that. In my mind, I wanted to be a football coach for high school. My plan was, okay, I'll get my English degree. And I know at some point I'll retire as a high school coach and I'll coach high school football back at my high school. Everything else in between there, we were gonna figure it out. Um, I, was, I was first worried about playing football, getting through football. After that, I had a couple of Arena League tryouts, um, but it didn't work out. Now, fortunately, I had my athletic marketing internship in my back pocket. 
my last semester of school, you know, after I won the award and everything, um, I'm so blessed that they created a position for me at the University of Delaware because of everything that I did. So I had the option in the back of my head, but playing ball was my passion. It didn't work out. So then at that point, I, I made the smart decision to say, okay, let me go ahead and still work at the University of Delaware in my alma mater, um, still work in, mar well, learn to work in marketing. Um, my main focus would be community service, which I had already built great relationships with people that were around, that were involved. So it kind of played into my favor to still ride the wave, so to speak, so that they still knew who I was. Now they, they could actually get to know me because they knew Sadiq as the football player. And, um, you know, some of the community service things, my name got out in that fashion as well. But to now put a figure with a name, to be honest, it was the perfect marriage. So it, it kind of fell into my lap in that aspect of um, being able to work in athletic marketing. Um, I got, man, I, during that year, our marketing team still is one of the best in the country. You know, and they did a really good job. We created, we created skits. We created something called Sadiq Get Schooled to where I went and played other athletes in their sports and they pretty much beat me. That's on YouTube. So if anyone is watching this and wants to get a good laugh, go on YouTube. It's called Sadiq Get Schooled. And I mean, it, it was great because I still got to do what I love to do, which was community service. And we were still able to do it, but now on a, on a bigger stage, right? We were on Good Morning America because of a, a coat drive that we organized. Uh, we gave back as far as doing a book drive. Um, we did, uh, you know, field days for the different elementary schools. So that was where my passion was. And, and although it did fall into my lap, naturally everything accumulates over your lifespan. So the more and more community service I did, I, I planted those seeds in the people's head to where by my senior year, um, I, I guess I, I made the right impressions on the right people to, to be able to be blessed that way. So that's kind of how it evolved. I didn't see it working that way. I still have that retiring as a high school coach in the back of my head, but you know, you never know, man, life develops in so, in, in so many crazy different ways. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. No doubt. And so then you make your way down uh, to Sam Houston State and you had the opportunity to coach some phenomenal players. Um, you know, what is it that brought you and, and has kept you at Sam Houston State um, that obviously, you know, you don't want to that you want to keep going with, uh, you know, because obviously you, you said you you enjoyed Delaware and you wanted to go there because of the culture. So I'm assuming it's something similar with Sam Houston State. So can you, you know, not necessarily a recruiting pitch, but, at, you know, obviously at the same time, there's a reason why you are there. So there's also a reason why kids should want to come and, and play there, um, not just to be coached by you, but just in general. Yeah, so it, you know, I guess I'll start really at the beginning the reason why the 22 and a half hour drive from Delaware to Texas was worth it because of what I was coming into, right? It was something that was familiar. Um, it was with a guy that I knew that gave me an opportunity, my head coach, Coach Keeler. Um, uh, when you look at his resume, you can see he did a really good job at winning, you know? And, and more importantly, I saw him give a kid a chance where he didn't have a scholarship coming in to where he rewarded him for, for a full, full ride, right? And I saw that family atmosphere culture you mix those two together, the passion of football, the family culture, and the winning culture, 
and then you bring it down to Texas, right? A state by, by, by my recognition as being one of those states that's great in football, right? We played a national championship um, here in 2010 when I was at the University of Delaware right up there in Frisco. So to, to understand and to be around that, um, it seemed like the perfect marriage, right? And uh, it, it was a phone call with my head coach, Coach Keeler, um, of us catching up that we were just catching up that evolved into me saying, you know, I think I would want to get back into coaching. And at the time he was out of coaching, that conversation evolved into him inviting me to come down to be on his staff. So that's, I mean, that's how it developed and that's how it evolved. And, and when you look back and you reevaluate, I know you understand this as a coach, you look at your game tape, right? You evaluate your wins and losses. You see what you can do better. And, here at Sam Houston State, when, when, when we look back and evaluate what we've done here, it's an appreciation. Some, somehow, some way, I've, I've been able to surround myself with a winning culture. I've been able to play in two national championships as a player. I've been able to come here and win two conference championships. I've been able to be around the best offense in the country for a couple of years. I've now been able to be around now currently one of the best defenses in, in the country. Our, the way that we talk here is, is in a sense of a family and a winning culture with the understanding that our goal every single year is being the best. And not a lot of places talk like that. And we keep a lot of that in-house, but we're not shy away from saying we want to be the best in the country. And when you speak like that, we believe words are powerful. And our kids hear that and they understand that. And we demand a lot of them. And they understand that. But at the end of the day, you and I both coach right? So at the end of the game, we're on the winning side, right? And, and more importantly, for me, I want to make a, a, an impact on the kids. So to answer your question, what keeps me here, it's the winning culture, it's the family culture, right? It's the passion to be able to, to have my own position room with Coach Douse, right? We both share that defensive line room, but not just being a graduate assistant, um, to, to really have your room to work with your kids, to be an impact on their lives. I've grown this, you know, since I've been here since 2014. So I've seen a class of kids come and go. I've been involved in their lives. And as a coach, you get accustomed to, to the kids and, and you go into their living rooms, you speak to their parents, you speak to their families, their guardians, you tell them you're going to take care of them. And you see them grow from a freshman to a senior. So we have that going on here. It's, it's, a, it's a great thing going in. Because of that family culture, we don't just bring players here, right? We bring family members here. And that's something that that's unique. And that's something that you can't go see. It's something that you more so feel, which uh, I think that's why we do such a great job in recruiting, because that's what a lot of our kids feel when, when we bring them here and we talk to them about being part of the San Diego State football team. Uh, <clears throat> I know if if I was a kid being recruited and you came and you gave my mom that same speech, she would she would tell you right now, where is he signing? Can you just get him out? Take him now. Good, good. But you know, that's I think that's exactly what at the end of the day, that's what the moms want to hear, right? Dad dads for the most part are gonna be like, Go play, man. Just yeah. you know, yeah. Just make sure you take care of you know what you need to take care of, but go play. Mom moms are a little more protective, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna have a little more say so. Uh because they, they they know at the end of the day, there's a finite amount of time that you can play this game or, you know, basketball, uh, what have you. Um, 
but you know, for you, you have that English degree, you created a lot of networks. Um, the fact that you can name that coach slash teacher uh, who made such an impact on your life, I think is profound. I think it needs to be, you know, highlighted and, and, and exclaimed because you, you know, as well as I do, you know, you alluded to it at the very beginning of this story is that in that class, you were the dumb jock, you know, in air quotes, but then look at you now, you know, um, you've, you've given presentations, you've been published, you're working on a book, uh, for anybody that didn't know who you were, if you were to just go speak, someone would probably think, you know, you're, you're a certified public speaker. Um, you know, some, some would even say a motivational speaker. Uh, cause I, I think as coaches at the end of the day, we are kind of somewhat of a motivational speaker. You, like you said, words are powerful. Um, as we talk about this, I see behind you, you've got, uh, four, four paintings, dream, inspire, believe and love. Uh, you know, those are, those are powerful words and I'm with you, you know, words, words give life and they take life. Uh, they give opportunity, they take opportunity, uh, no more, um, no more prevalent than what's going on in the world today. So during this time and given your platforms, how have you communicated with your players about the choices, the decisions, the things that they say, um, and, and when they do press sin, like, uh, like Tony Dungy says, and Herm Edwards say, you know, how do you coach them up about those, those things that they have yet to foresee that we know that life holds ahead of us? Right. So there's a powerful word called wisdom, right? Wisdom is, is sometimes learning uh, without having to do those actions yourself. And it was something that was taught to me at a very young age about learning from your peers, right? You not having to struggle if you're smart enough to listen to the people that have, that, have, that have been through it. So how we partake that information or how we give that information to our players is, is literally just speaking from experience. You know, we're right, right now, you know, as far as last year, we're doing a program um, leading with Emmanuel Acho's Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, right? So it started last year, last summer um, with where we were, you know, as a country with all that was going on, a lot of stuff was sitting unsettling with me. And it was a challenge to, to, to go through those emotions and quite honestly, to be in the coaching world because of potentially some of the stigmas that come with speaking out or speaking how you feel. So with, with me having those emotions inside, it came down to a staff meeting and me sharing that with the staff. And from that conversation, I talked to my head coach. And then from that conversation, it evolved into us creating a social and racial injustice program that gave our players the platform to speak and to understand. Because we felt as though, you know, as a university, you know, as an athletic program, as the football team, you know, the, the, the one way that we can actually start to help be a part of that change is to do more listening and allow our players to speak. I know when I was going through the rough times, speaking helped a lot just to be able to express yourself. So a lot of times when we're not able to do that, we assume, right? We think things that, that aren't the truth. 
We don't realize that people are going through the same things that we're, we're going through. We sometimes miss a perspective that sometimes we need in order to see why people are feeling the way that they feel. So with us being able to do that here with these guys using those videos as icebreakers, because, you know, some of the some of the best conversations are the ones that are that are the toughest to have. And when you understand that. Uh, it sometimes just take force in the envelope. Hey, can we talk about this? I think this is important to talk about. And when you set the stage, you need to set the stage and then you need to sit back and actually listen to understand. And once you do that, what we've learned here since doing the program, you know, our kids are having conversations that they wouldn't ordinarily have that they want to talk about. So much stuff is is on TV and on our social media that we're forced to see. And a lot of it is trauma. You know, in the terms, a lot of it can be categorized in that trauma. And if you don't speak about the things that you're reliving day in and day out, you miss the opportunity to really express how you feel and to get those feelings and emotions off of you. So it, it's in our sense here, we want to make sure that we, we understand and we hear how our players are feeling. We hear what they're going through. Me as a black man at the age of 32 in the field of coaching, I'm going to experience a lot of different things in my shoes that I potentially can share so people can understand as well. So it's been a it's been a major emphasis for us here um, in the light of day of, of so much that's going on to make sure that our kids have a safe zone to express themselves at worst, you know, and then collectively together, we can come together with an action plan to make sure that um, at minimum as a university, as an athletic department, as a, as a football program, we are force feeding what we think can help be a part of the change, right? And that's making sure that we, we all fight for equality to make sure everyone is treated the same and to make sure that we can effectively use our voice, you know, when, it, when it's right and when we feel the need to do so. Love it, man. Are you, uh, you happen to follow Darren Woodson on, uh, on Instagram? Uh, the name sounds familiar. I, I'm uh, not sure. <clears throat> former safety for the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Uh, I'm not a Cowboys fan. Uh, my wife I is. I won't hold that to you. I'm a giant. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I'm right now I'm a Texans fan. Uh, okay. we'll, we'll see how long that goes. Um, it may be a time for a new team. If, the, if I'm they good. Can. I'm good with that. PJ, PJ is down there. So, I'm, I'm <laughs> but, um, you know, he posts, he, he's a little more active on, uh, Instagram compared to, uh, to Twitter. Okay. And uh, he posts. He's got a, he's got a podcast. It's him and a couple of buddies, and they've interviewed some, you know, just amazing people uh, and athletes. Uh, but he posted something today that that speaks, I think, similar to what you just brought up about the trauma that is shown on TV. And it's you know the the, the tagline is, "What are you paying attention to? Turn on the news, and what do you see? I see chaos, violence." hatred. Go to your office or to the store. What do you see? I see teamwork, understanding, civility. It's easy, it's easy to project what you see on TV or the internet and think the world is falling apart, but I bet if you really pay attention, 95% of your daily interactions with people in real life are good ones. Don't let someone else tell you about reality. You know what's true. What's true is most of us want and are working for the same thing. 
I, I mean, I, yeah. after what, what took place at the Capitol, I, I went for a walk as, as part of this uh, mental and, and physical challenge that I've embarked on now for the, I've tried to complete 75 days straight of, uh, of five, five simple daily tests called the 75 hard challenge uh, yep. started by Andy, Andy Frisella. Yeah. So this is like third or fourth time I've restarted this deal, but I'm determined to go straight through. I, I said, I, I, it's about doing it for me. Right. There you go. So your, your two workouts a day, uh, one inside or one has to be outside, yep. um, regardless of the condition. So that, that day, um, went for a walk, uh, as part of my deal, but also just because I needed to process and clear my head. And, uh, I reposted what he, he posted. And I said that day I saw, I saw kids playing basketball of all sizes, shapes, and colors. I saw another, uh, African-American family walking. We exchanged pleasantries. Cause at the end of the day, what they're, they're on a health journey. Mm-hmm. I'm on a health journey. Why, why can I not just encourage them to do the same thing, um, that I'm trying to do, just get better, you know? And so I, I think like you're saying, it's giving those kids a space to, to have conversations, um, that, that probably have needed to be had for a long time, but now because of what, um, Emmanuel Acho has done, I think is, is taken a stereotype of, of a jock and, and flipped it on its head. You know, he's, he's now a published author. Uh, he's created an opportunity for people to listen and process and have conversations that probably wouldn't have had because he's used his platform and he's used it in a positive way uh, that I think more people need to take advantage of. But I, I would agree with Darren's post in that the majority of what you see on TV is not the reality of what goes on in the day to day. You know, I go to work. um, It's a teamwork deal. Uh, We, I have, I have my, my defensive tackle called me uh, the other day, coach, what do I do? you know, what do I, what do I need to do? What's my next steps? Um, you know, he, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to call me and ask me those things, but it's because we've built that relationship. Uh, you know, I had him, had him and the rest of the, the unit to my house and they, they ate, they almost ate me out of the fridge, but <laughs> I you know, four high school, four high school boys are going to do that to you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. you know what? Uh, I wouldn't have traded it for the world. Now, you know, I think that's the beauty of what we do as coaches is, is we impact lives and the most profound things are those relationships. Um, you talked about at the very beginning is what, what last year kind of took away from some of us is those, those face-to-face relationships, you know, having to do stuff more from a communication standpoint. Um, you know, you forget about what the, what, what value is of a phone call uh, and not just a text message, you know, even a, even a FaceTime uh, can carry a little more weight than, than a like. Um, and so I think, you know, taking that step back, having those conversations talking with more people uh, really, I think was, is what I believe will help propel things to be in a much better place. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when you arrive at a place, you want to leave it better than you found it. And 
you know, I, I believe that that's what you're doing uh, at, at Sam Houston State. Not that it was bad when you got there, but, you know, you're, wherever you go afterwards, it's only going to be better for the time that you spent there and then that coaching staff and that culture that you guys have created. If you, if you can think about any, any workplace you go to or, or the people that you surround yourself with, you interact with a lot of different people a lot of different people. And the opportunity that, that I've had my entire life is I've always put myself in different settings to learn from a lot of different people. Um, and sometimes when people are living at the speed of life, you kind of miss those connections. I thrive off of, of meeting new people and understanding them and hearing their story because I feel much more enlightened having a different perspective Right. And when when you get to like the post that you said, what we feed ourselves, right, is essentially what goes on upstairs in our head. And and as I'm as my, as my life is developing, I'm actually getting my certification as a life coach, which is which is doing nothing but actually helping me as a football coach. What I'm learning is a lot of times the the keys to success is being able to effectively listen. Right. Because when you effectively listen, you enter the way of fully understanding anybody. And, and when you when you're able to, to do that with every single person that you're able to sit down with, if you can effectively listen and understand someone, you will then know how to effectively communicate with them. And, and that's that's all a relationship is, is the bridge of communication. And the same way we want our players to be able to effectively run those games that we've drawn up all week, we need to be able to communicate with them in whatever way that is. You know, if you got to say T, if you got to say Texas two-step, if you got to say up and under, if you got to say two-step and drop, we can change our lingo. But at the end of the day, the goal is to get them to execute what we're trying to get them to execute. So effectively communicating with them. And some people, you may just have to point your finger up and then bring it back down and they'll understand that, right? So it's, it's being able to adapt and adjust in your settings to make sure that you're, you're able to effectively communicate. And then the other part is, and I, and I say understand, listening to understand instead of listening to defend, right? Are you listening, waiting to answer? Or are you listening to understand what someone is saying? And that simple, small concept, it, it really can take you a long way because when you take that extra second to not think about what you need to say to respond and just hear what someone's saying and, and, and hear how to, to really tap into understand what they're trying to communicate to you, I think it helps you bridge that gap of, of effectively understanding how you want to talk to somebody and how you want to communicate. And then from there, that's where everything else rolls and develops because now you're able to, to, we always say, create new imaginations. We always say the game on Saturday is one, right? Sunday through Friday to where Saturday, you want your kids to go out there, have fun. Everything is automatic and everything is just clicking. Well, you got to put the work in and you got to be able to effectively communicate. So what you feed yourself, which is why during the week, our kids need to do studying in the classroom and studying for football. Right. Very little do they have time for socially because you just we label it as a distraction. 
right? It's, it's distracting you from your goals of making sure your academics are right and your goals of making sure your football is right. And then that third piece is making sure them as a person, right? Who you are as a person, right? Because us as coaches, we fill a lot of different roles, right? We fill a lot of counselor, academic advisor, teacher, football coach, life coach, uh, nutrition coach, you know, we, we fill up mom, dad, you know, they're, they're coming from their house. It's a lot of different changes. And, and we as coaches have to effectively be able to, to, uh, to put it all in one. And the way that you do that is to better yourself and to better yourself. You do that by effectively to be able to communicate because I don't care what my players look like. I want to make sure I'm able to communicate with them so that they can understand what they need to do and give them what they need in order to be successful in life. And that's dealing with everyday situations. Absolutely. I joke that, uh, you know, I, I got a bald head for a reason. I can wear any kind of hat and it'll fit. Um, it's kind of a nice round shape as my wife tells me all the time. Got an egg head. That's but, true. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you're absolutely right. If, if we as coaches cannot fulfill those roles, and we can't effectively communicate, then ultimately we're not doing our job uh, because we're not going to produce on on Friday for me or Thursday or Friday for me, whenever we play or Saturdays for you guys, you know, and if we're not taking care of business uh, all days leading up to the game day, then we're, we're not we're not taking care. We're not doing the right the right thing. We're not doing the necessary things. Um, and it's like you say, you know, just because one kid understands the game or that that stunt, this this twist or whatnot as, as that, you know, you have to compartmentalize or you have to break it down to to somebody else. Uh, you know, I reached out to you about how do I get my guys to uh, to not get reached so much? And we, you know, we, we turned on the Zoom and we broke some stuff down and I think it helped uh, by the end of the season. You know, we. we we did a much better job of not being reached. Um, you know, we just still working on our pad level, still working on, uh, on staying half a man when we, when we rush the passer, but you know, I don't know, I don't know who doesn't have those issues at, at whatever, I don't care, whatever, what level yes, you coach well, at. Yes, has those issues over here as well. You know, <laughs> it's, it's how do you effectively minimize those past the quarterback? How do you effectively minimize not getting reached, right? And if you don't look at it as a wholesale change, but okay, I, maybe I just need to tweak my philosophy here, or maybe if I just align them this way, over the long term, those add up, you know. So yeah, I definitely see that, no doubt. So so looking at the guys that you do recruit and looking at recruiting film, um, you know, and this is. This is the time of year where, you know, y'all have probably closed the book on 2020 and, and you're maybe halfway through 2021 and you're looking, uh, or sorry, you've already closed the book on your 21 class. You're halfway through your 22 class. You're looking two classes down the road kind of thing. How does a kid who is not kind of on people's radar per se as a junior going into his senior year, how does he make the jump? And then how do you evaluate a younger talent 
you know, let's say a sophomore. Uh, so they would be what class of 23. Mm-hmm. How do you evaluate that kid knowing that their age, they're, you know, 15 years old, 16 years old, and they've still got two more years of high school. Mm-hmm. How do you evaluate those, those two things? Because, you know, we hear these things, oh, so-and-so is offered this eighth grader. So-and-so is offered this freshman. Oh, and yes, there are special genetic anomalies, okay? But at the end of the day, it's a 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kid who is nowhere close to being done growing. And the transition from college, from high school to college, when you get uh, better workouts uh, from, from a detail standpoint, you have more access to nutritional coaching for the most part, and, and especially now across uh, all universities. And you have that whole new time management thing that didn't really exist in high school because your day was pretty much mapped out for you. Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm, I'm going to preface this to say, if anybody looks at you and says they have the perfect formula to, to explain to you how and why recruiting does the way that it does, they'd be lying. Right. So to understand that, I'm going to give you my example and I'm going to tell you kind of how we look at it. I still don't for me coming out of high school, I was six foot and a half. Probably give me six one. Give me six one. Three hundred and thirty five pounds when I left high school. I had to gray shirt, which means I had to go to to Dell Tech for a semester to take an English and a math credit uh, to make sure I could pass college credits, as well as he my coach Keeler wanted me to lose. 35 pounds, get down to 300. But again, this was on a preferred walk-on, so I signed up for all of this. So I knew what I had to do to work. Who's to know that I would eventually lose 65 pounds, put back on good weight, be a two-year starter my junior and senior year, and actually play as a freshman since my freshman year on, right? So you see sometimes it develops. So no one could have foresaw that happening with me. With us here, we don't have the luxury to, to work that far ahead. We work junior and then senior, right? And there are those studs that that you've seen it before and they're studs. Like you'll see the eighth grade film and be like, huh, you know what? Okay, it's worth having a shot because if he gets to his senior year, oh man, Coach Haynes threw, threw me out of scholarship when I was in eighth grade. Or Sam Houston State threw me a scholarship because I can't do a scholarship in eighth grade. Whatever, whatever the case may be. So it's always interesting to see that develop. But here at Sam Houston State, we go junior and senior. So as you and I know, your film, right, gets you noticed. Your film gets you noticed. And then we do our our jobs as coaches to, to go talk to the right people to evaluate you as a person. Us at Sam Houston State, we have competition, right? We're FCS, so we're right below your FBS schools, and, and we, we're on TV, right? We, we have a playoff system. We have all of that. So we have a lot of the limelight here and, and what we can um, show the kids to want them to, come, want them to come here. When it comes down to it, depending on your position, depending on your size, depending on what you do really well, situation by situation. If I have a D lineman that's 6'3", 295 his junior year, he's put really good tape out there as a junior. 
I would say I'm going to take an educated guess based off of his size and what he's put on film, based off of his tools and his mechanics and how I evaluate him. I want him as a junior. Right. So then, coach, what if he has a bad senior year? Well, there's there's things that happen. But for the most part, the guys that you see that have the tools that have the size that you feel comfortable with as a junior, you want to offer them. Right. You want to you want to have some skin in the game, as they say, to make sure that they're giving you an honest look. Uh, but then at the same time, and this is coaches to coaches, right? You don't want to feel like you're reaching, right? Because now the business side of it, you want to bring kids here, right? You want to give scholarships to the kids that you feel as though can play and can produce and that can, that can work their way to get on the field. When it comes down to the business side of it, it just has to make sense. Okay, and, and how you go from not getting noticed as a junior to a senior, the first thing is you better be putting the, the, the film on. You better be putting you better be putting it on tape because you are. I mean, you are behind the eight ball in the sense of there's guys as juniors that have really good tape. Right. And, and those those as a as a coach, if you can see that early on and after everything marries up, if it makes sense. That's what you want to part of your program. It doesn't mean that we don't want all these other kids. It's just, you know, I signed four defensive linemen this year. We had three, maybe four. Um, now we have four guys leaving next year, so it kind of marries up. But we have to deal with all the time. Well, if this kid is right here. How aren't you taking him? And he, well, we have different kids that fit in our system. We recruit certain type of kids, you know, so we don't get hung up on stars. We don't get hung up on offers. We evaluate the film. Can this, okay, we got two noses, two of the, you know, one nose is, is leaving this year. The other one is leaving after next year. And we got a, a freshman down there. We probably need to recruit two more freshmen, two more freshman nose that have this skill set. So I have a list of 10 guys that fit fit that description. And I got to lay, I got to order them based off of who I think is the better talent. And then I have to offer. Now we don't offer, I'm not offering all 10. But if we got a slot for two, I'll maybe offer three to four and just educate them and let them know in the recruiting process, this is what's going on. Understand you may get offers, but you also may be in jeopardy, right, to lose this offer because we have to fill our roster spot. So it's a fine line and it's a game that you have to make sure that, and it's not a game, right? I don't want to label it as a game, but you have to make sure that you align your roster with what you need. And then after you do that, that's where everything else falls in. So the way that I evaluate a alignment as a junior may be way different than you evaluate a running back as a freshman in high school. You know, as a running back, you just you have the juice. If you got the sauce, you 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 got it. Grow a little bit more. Yeah. Get a little bit more elusive, actually grow into your body more, more times than none. Those type of players, they can develop a skill player can be a skill player. And if I got a 6'4 wide receiver as a sophomore and, and, and he can jump out the building and he can catch, that, that's something you, you, can't really, uh, you can't really coach height. You can't really coach hands, right? So there is no perfect way, but there is a lot that goes into position by position, year by year, school by school. The Alabamas of the world are going to recruit way different than the Sam Houston States. They got, they got, they probably got commitments all the way up until sophomores, because guess what? The type of players they're going at as a sophomore is probably the best player in their state, 
right? So they have a little bit more of a luxury. They need to get into those homes early, right? So that uh, they actually, when the, when the time does come, they have a, they have a, a fit or, or a chance to be able to get a kid to come to their school. Yeah, you bring up a good point about, you know, recruiting a skilled kid versus recruiting a lineman. So many times, you know, in the, at the high school level, we see them come in as freshmen and you can tell the ones that, you know, they, they, they've been the biggest kid and they're still trying to figure out their body. It keeps growing. They've got the growing pains and things of that nature. They're, they're, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, newborn deers when they walk kind of thing, but they don't, they don't necessarily bend and move as well as a year later or two years or three years later. Uh, and then you have your skill kids that come in and, uh, they're, they can run fast, jump high, um, you know, and their catching is decent, but you can improve, you know, like you can improve catching, uh, yeah. and, and you can marginally increase speed. Yep. Um, and any, anybody that's listening to this and your trainer tell you, they can get, they can get you really fast is, is lying. You need to get your money back. It's genetics plays a part in how fast you are. Okay. I can lose a hundred pounds. I ain't running a four, two. Hey coach, you may get to a four, four though. <laughs> uh, maybe, but at, at, at 30, at 33, 34, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. not worried about that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I also got to deal with the fact that I'm five, eight. So, you know, genetics, <laughs> but you know, you're going to grow as a, cause the other deal is when you're growing up playing football, mm-hmm. nobody wants to be a lineman. What do you want to be quarterback receiver running back and maybe a DB, you know, de- depending on, on yeah. You want the you want a back plate and a visor, right? You want the swag. Yeah, yeah. So by the time you get to high school, and you realize one linemen are the most important pieces to the puzzle, arguably outside of a quarterback, and two linemen have the most longevity in the league. So if you want to go to the league, uh you really want to look at being a lineman, whether it's on the defensive side or the offensive side, uh, because quarterbacks and running backs are sorry, wide receivers and running backs are kind of a dime a dozen. Yeah. And sometimes DBs, depending on who you are, you know, right. Sean, Sean Taylor, is Sean Taylor will never be another Sean Taylor, Ed Reed, you know, Jalen Ramsey, those, those guys are special. Uh, but to, you know, you look at the guys that have played the longest offensive lineman, you're, 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 I think the life, the life of an old lineman is what probably five to ten years in the NFL. Yeah. Life of a receiver, running back is three to four. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't have a degree to fall back on or another job because you had two hundred plus hours of community service and they create you a job, <laughs> you're kind of a SOL, I would say. Yeah, I mean, you just, you just, you gotta, you gotta understand. I mean, you just got to understand what you're doing. It's it's funny. I, I want to admit this to a lot of people. I know I'm probably saying this on the podcast, but I, I always think back and I made this joke on my staff and they look at me like, like, like I'm talking some kind of craziness. I said I probably would have been and gave myself a better chance to play further if I would have been an offensive lineman with my skill set. I played both ways in high school. 
And yeah, I was only six foot one. And yeah, I mean, I, I was three plus. They could have all these excuses, but I felt as though I could play at a high level if I would have played offensive line. And uh, the thing is, for, for most of us, when you're 300 pounds, leaving eighth grade, going into ninth grade, um, your, 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 <laughs> your choices of what you play are kind of slim to none. You know, you kind of get in where you fit in. And that was easier for me. It was then growing from that and then fine tuning my love for defense. Right. I, I had a love, a natural love for defense. I, I would play offensive line and I, you know, I was decent at it in high school, but it was something about being on the defense that was it's just different. It's different. And I'm, you know, one of the nicest guys off the field. You know, I'm always I always got a smile on my face, but it was something different when, when you play defense and when you step on the field and even speaking on it mentally, you just go into a different place being on the defense. And that was that was the exciting part. And that's what kind of drawn me to to want to be over there to play. And uh, that's that's kind of what I felt as though I was better at. Gotcha. Well, we're going to get you out of here on a, a few more questions. Okay. But uh, first off, you talk about you know, different mindset as a defensive player and a defensive coach, for sure. You know, we're wired a little bit different. Um, are you are you on the field or are you in the box? I have been in the box since I've been here. Okay. In the box. So when I was on the offensive side of the ball, I called it for the OC. Um, I called the defense for on pressures. And then, um, you know, when I transitioned here to the defensive side, because I had already did it for the offense, I now switched over and I'm up in the box for the defense. Gotcha. So being in the box, how when you when you approach it, right? And I and I I don't know how I don't know necessarily the restrictions uh, for you guys when you're in the box and you know what you can can't say and how loud you can and can't get. Um, I, uh, I I was in the box this past year and I've been in the box before, but the last but two two seasons prior the past two seasons prior to this this past season I've been I was on the field so uh I you know when they put me in the box I'm kind of like a caged animal in the box except <laughs> I, I am I am not the loudest yes um our our one of our offensive line coaches is up there with me uh and we've been told to quiet down um on the uh on the neighboring booth who was doing the uh, the live broadcast so uh, I've been, we've both been, been getting, gotten pretty loud, but so, so the question is, are you louder in the box depending on what goes on compared to the field or vice versa? Okay. I got to think about that one. So, so here's the thing. So I'm younger and, and I'm an excitement coach. I'm, I'm, I'm dancing at the beginning of practice, like, uh, my, my guys know I'm, I'm off the haywire. Um, so I get excited in the game of football. So I'll get excited on big plays. Oh, yeah, let's go. Yeah, whatever the case may be. But it's still cool, calm, and collected. I've never been around or experienced where, you know, we were a ruckus for the guys over there. But being up in the booth, you know, you're kind of away from the action. So – for me, sometimes that excitement that I have, it's it's the only way that I can bridge kind of not being on the field, you know, and um, it is different. 
your goal, your, your, your job is super important naturally. So you want to make sure you're always focused and you don't fall into the allure of just watching the game, actually making sure you're watching what you're supposed to watch. Naturally, we're all human, right? We have those moments, but um, I think you just got to have a healthy balance. It's, it's some restriction being up there with the excitement. It is different in my opinion, being on the field. Um, I've got to go down to the field after being up a lot to experience maybe the last couple of minutes. And it's a different feeling. It is, but you know, everyone has their job. And, and if for this, for this staff, my, my job is up there and I, I welcome it. And, uh, you know, we do a really good job as a defensive staff, as far as just filling our role. There you go. Uh, so in the box, you're not, you guys are on offense. You're not having, you, you know, you're kind of, you're done with your communication to, to whoever and you've, you've spoken what they ask you to. Mm-hmm. What's your inbox snack, drink? You know, what, what are you consuming during the game? Because because that stuff is important. It's, I don't care what anybody says. Listen. What you eat and drink in the box during the game makes a difference. All right, so I gotta give I gotta give you some honesty, right? Because we're all here. So my first couple of years, you know, fresh into college football, NCAA, first time in the box. First year, we're opening up with Texas Tech. You know, the following year we go to LSU, and these names are gonna mean something when I get to talking. I didn't realize you have like spreads up in the booth when you go to game. Like that's the thing, right? I learned that uh, early on. So, man. As a as a as a young young GA, I get up there, make me a plate wherever I was at. I mean, I would I would I would get me a, get up there in enough time, make me a chicken, whether it was size, they have potato salad, they have like chicken tenders, they have burgers. I mean, we had spread where they had barbecue before. So early on, I was I can't wait till I see what they have up there. <laughs> but now, you know, naturally I I, I get some type of energy so now I've, I've been drinking bang so i make sure i have me a bang um and then water i gotta have water and then naturally now what i do is when i come up after halftime um, because we do travel and we have snacks and stuff if they don't have something i'll i'll usually just grab something small finger foods from there or i'll put something aside that that maybe i didn't want to eat at the time but mm, i can't pass this up so it, it's it's a thing it's the thing I got, I got, I kind of got to feel out in those other places. I went naturally, you go to the bigger schools, the bigger places, they have bigger spreads, different spreads. So it's a benefit going to those type of places and, and being able to be able to do. Yeah, I can, I can attest to the spreads. I was, you know, working, I, like I told you, I was in the SID office at, at Florida state for a couple of years and working the football games and the basketball games and and being able to uh to have something like that and then getting out of college and going to high school and starting my coaching career sometimes we were lucky to get a bottle of water and a bag of day old popcorn or, or two week old popcorn uh you know and then some places it's just a, especially this past season with with covid and everything it was it was nothing um you know other than just maybe some sodas uh but uh but yeah, I'm with you on the on the bangs. I'm a I'm a little bit more of a rain man because oh. I started drinking bangs before they got real popular, and I yeah. swear they've changed the formula. Um, I don't think that they pat either. Either I've gotten I've drank too many in my in my time where they doesn't have any effect, 
Right. Or, or they have probably adjusted some stuff, which which is possible, you know, FDA regulations or whatnot. So right. I think it gives me just enough. I, just I, don't, enough. I don't know what the formula is, but maybe it's just a, a, a mental a mental that I gotta have. But it's uh it's one of those things either. You know, we do practice early in the morning, maybe before practice and definitely before game just to make sure I mentally feel like I'm wired and, I, and, and I'm wide awake to understand and see what's going on. What's your go-to flavor on it? Uh, what is it? The Star Buzz? Let's go. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Star we're going to I mean, have problems if you said like birthday cake or unicorn or something, man. That stuff is oh, no. the aftertaste on those is oh. terrible. I think I had a cotton candy one to try out one time that the store had on sale. Yeah. Yeah. You stick, you stay, those are, you find your one or two and you stay there. Don't, you don't deviate. Stay with it. So, all right. Last question. Like I said, we we recording this, uh, the day of the national championship game, Alabama, Ohio state. Uh, All I'm going to ask you is I'm going to ask you two questions. Okay. Whose defensive line is going to win the game in the trenches? Okay. And then who ultimately do you predict to win the game? Do you just want me to answer the questions? However you want to answer. I think I think Alabama will win the trenches game. And I think Alabama will win. No context. If you want some context, I feel an upset in my gut. <laughs> I, I feel I, I, I can't ignore. And for all the reasons that everyone probably have, I wouldn't be surprised. Right. It's the year for it. No doubt. But if I if I if they you know, I'm not a betting man per NCAA rules. I just want to put it out there. We can't bet. But if I was. I'd have to go with Alabama. And it's only because of the two that's playing. That's that's the only reason why I'm going. That's that's what I feel. I I, I appreciate good defense, and um, where some may feel like they have have gotten you know exposed a couple times here or there. Man, consistency is is something that we all look for in our program. That guy over there, he's pretty consistent. So that's that's probably who I'd have to pick. Yeah. I'm with you on those on those two things. I think this is a, I think this is a hungry and a uh, desiring group at Alabama that want to, uh, that want to make a statement. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll see what happens. But right. Coach, man, I appreciate your time. Thank you for for once again taking time out of your day to talk with me. You don't have to. Uh, you don't owe me anything. But uh, I, I enjoy the opportunity to uh, to get to know you more than just you know, Coach Haynes, uh, the football coach, but Coach Haynes, the person. Uh, I hope that people find value in uh, in what you spoke on today. And, uh, you know, if you can find it after you decide to be, you get your book done and published, you know, if I can get a signed copy, but it's got to be, you know, after mom's gets hers and, you know, somewhere, somewhere down, down yeah. the low on the list, if you can find your time. You know, I would, after, the, after the top five, mom, fiance, uh, you know, club, my dog, every after everybody, those the top five was. I, I, I got you, man. I, I appreciate you having me as well, man. It's, it's been a pleasure, and um, I appreciate this space. You know, like I said, it's one of those things that I look forward to to be able to to talk and express and and to hear and learn and understand. And, uh, 
some of the things that we've done tonight is exactly what, what I look forward to do with a lot of people. So I, I really do appreciate that. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Coach Haynes. I hope you gained perspective, knowledge, and wisdom. I hope you're able to take some of the things that we talked about and help apply them to your daily life, maybe make it a little bit better each day. Yes, Coach Haynes was correct about the Alabama Crimson Tide winning the national championship game. It wasn't meant for an upset. It was a pure domination. I look forward to watching the Bearcats. I wish them all the success in the world, and I hope that the defensive line continues to produce at a high level. Thanks for checking out the podcast today. Really hope you enjoyed today's guest. Don't forget to leave a like and a review. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast fix from. Ratings and reviews really help us reach more viewers. Peace out. Have a nice day. Be the change you want to see in the world. Peace.